Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to VUX World. This is episode four and today we're speaking to Jeff Smith. Jeff works for a company called IPsoft. He's head of the conversational AI team and he's working on the conversational AI known as Amelia. Jeff has bags of experience in conversational artificial intelligence. He's even wrote a book on reactive machine learning. Jeff is probably going to be one of the smartest and most technical people I've ever spoken to in my whole life. <laughs> and we're going to be talking all things conversational AI. So if you're new to the voice design world and the voice world in general, we'll be covering the basics, what it is, how it works, why it's good. If you're a current VUI designer and you currently work in the voice world, we'll be covering some specifics in terms of how you can implement conversational AI within your designs. And if you're a brand who is looking to explore the world of voice will hope to give you a full understanding of what conversational AI is, how and where it can be used, and what benefits it'll have for you. So, really excited to speak to Jeff, and without further ado, here is Jeff. So Jeff, welcome to the VUX World Podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Happy to be on here. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us all the way from New York. Um, so Jeff, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your role at IPsoft? Sure. Um, so I've been working in the space of data science for over a decade now, uh, and most of that time recently has been spent in AI and machine learning. Uh, so I built a couple of different conversational AI uh, products and really working on building uh, the teams and helping to uh, teach others the skills necessary to succeed. Um, and so part of that work also is included some stuff around uh, writing a book around reactive machine learning, uh, which is a concept I developed uh, but that really came out of my real world experience and applying some uh, a theoretical overlay to uh, some of the true challenges of building machine learning AI systems in the real world. And so these days I spend most of my time either uh, on the job uh, as as a as a manager of a team of of data scientists and linguists and and software developers trying to build an AI and help them uh, succeed and build their skills and and build a more uh, effective technology as a result, or uh, then spending the rest of my time uh, uh, talking with others in the community about uh, particular topics of interest around conversational AI, voice technology, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I've seen you've done quite a lot of. Um talks and presentations on on this kind of stuff as well on in the areas of machine learning as well um over the over the previous kind of um few months which i've i've kind of seen which has been really really interesting actually um so you're at ipsoft at the moment working on amelia mm -hmm. sure so what what is amelia so amelia is a very ambitious approach to uh, a conversational ai so ipsoft is a, a digital digital labor company. So we're trying to create intelligent software that uh, serves the role that a human may have served in the past to, to literally work on behalf uh, of, our, of our clients. So Amelia is a, is a conversational AI. Uh, she also manifests in the form of an avatar, so a computer-generated, uh, a very realistic-looking model uh, that animates and converses with people, uh, and then in, has a voice-only deployment in some ways as well. So uh, the focus is to really be uh, in any sort of interface that you would want to interact uh, with uh, some form of digital agent that works on behalf of a company, uh, that we want to be there. Uh, and so the sorts of jobs that the AI takes on 
are uh, are the sorts of things that uh, a l people have been trying to find better ways of doing and, and optimizing for a long time. So these are things like customer service and help desk and um, and these sorts of interactions with uh, between companies and brands and their customers. Uh, so Amelia is, uh, is is an incredibly broad and ambitious AI to cover uh, a huge range of industries' needs uh, and and really to be deployed to a very wide range of deployment platforms uh, to be able to take on uh, whatever sorts of challenges uh, that uh, uh, businesses have in, in dealing with their customers. Mm. Cool. So what kind of to, that's obviously a huge uh, hugely complex sort of tool by the by the sounds of things what um you mentioned that you you manage the team um that kind of works on that and creates that so could you tell, explain a little bit about that team and the, and the skill sets that that team has to create something like that yeah so that's probably one of the uh, biggest compensations to doing work in this area, in my opinion, is is what the group of people you end up pulling together to do anything really interesting. And so, um, uh, like in terms of functional skills, the average team, uh, like mine or, or like previous ones I've been a part of, um, so there's some core skills around uh, software engineering, so that we need to be able to handle uh, uh, very large amounts of data uh, at scale, um, very reliably, and so uh, there's a lot of that uh, infrastructure that needs to be built. Um, the expectations for something um, uh, like, a, say, a customer service function or a help desk function is that it's it's highly available. It's it's a 24/7. It doesn't matter how many problems people have. That this is a sort of uh, infinite capacity way of addressing things. So there's a lot of um, traditional backend software engineering skills necessary to achieve that around stability, reliability reliability and, and data handling. Um, but that's not even, uh, but then there, there's so much more beyond that, uh, that needs to, uh, in terms of the team's capabilities. And so uh, some of the rest of those folks on the team need to have skills around uh, data science. And, and for an application like a conversational AI, you're really talking about people who have expertise in natural language processing. Um, and so uh, some of this may be core machine learning topics, uh, like just being able to train classifiers and evaluate results. Um, and implement uh, learning algorithms. But uh, uh, over time, most people who work on this sort of stuff get deeper into the specific techniques we use for language. So for anything that, um, so while there is a general broad field of machine learning that could apply over all sorts of data sets, like, uh, like images, uh, um, like sound, um, uh, but for, for language specifically, uh, NLP is a very deep and rich area with a whole bunch of specialist techniques. And so we have people who uh, need to understand the latest in research, uh, implement that within our uh, within our application, as well as uh, some of those folks actually trend more towards the um, uh, towards the end of linguistics uh, as well, right? So that we have we have people who are are really academically trained in the structure of language and can reason about um, uh, domain concepts that need to be expressed in multiple languages. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's probably no surprise that. Um, uh, being based in Europe, that when you deploy uh, an intelligent agent to a European customer base, uh, there are expectations about multilinguality. So, so, that, so that an intelligent agent should be able to speak whatever languages uh, the customers speak. Uh, and, and so that there needs to be uh, intelligence that exists behind the scenes, encoded in some sort of um, in some sort of way that is not specifically tied to an individual language, but is actually capable of being used across all the languages uh, 
that a um, uh, that the intelligent agent needs to speak the same way that that you as a human, uh, if you if you say were an accountant, you would know accounting in English. And then if you also spoke French, you could still have the same conversation about accounting because that knowledge is itself a domain knowledge. Uh, but but then you need to be able to express it in both English and French if, in that example. Uh, so AI needs precisely those same capabilities, and and folks with expertise within language uh, play a lot of uh, have a lot to offer a team in terms of being able to capture uh, precisely what are the properties of language we are trying to encode uh, using natural language processing techniques and the ability to support that across a broad range of of domains, contexts, languages, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, I've, I've, sorry, go on. Uh, sorry, the the one I, I think I I left out the folks who actually have to then. Uh, um, make the uh, visualization of all this stuff. That, so there are people who have skills within things like um, uh, 3D modeling, animation, um, uh, web front-end engineering, all that stuff for if you want to go as far as, uh, as Amelia goes into having a, a personification that users can actually look at uh, and, and have a sort of real-world interaction that you know, involves you know, uh, the AI making gestures and, and having facial expressions and responding empathetically. Uh, as a human does, uh, that's that's a whole additional discipline of skills that you need to have as well. So is this is that a mixture then of because you mentioned NLP, that's natural language processing, isn't it? Is that correct? Is are those skills on? Because um, I was speaking to somebody else the other day who has a background in playwriting, who has mm. then become a voice user interface designer. Are those the skills mm -hmm. you mean in terms of an understanding of language in that way, or are you more referencing the technical? side of uh, coping with the complexities of language? Mm -hmm. uh, so it, all of the above, typically. Um, and so uh, where I see people who have more of um, uh, like more of a theatrical or, or writing background, uh, often playing a role is in uh, user experience sorts of considerations, uh, very often around um, writing dialogue responses. Um, as we get closer to the issues of natural language understanding, that is comprehending what, what you as a user have said to the AI, uh, those skill sets tend to be closer towards um, um, uh, natural language processing, data science sorts of skill sets. Uh, and so, but then you also have people who are trained within like academic linguistics and, and less around software. And those folks also still have a valuable role to play within really um, coming up with a uh, an implementable, useful way to structure our knowledge about language so that we, we break down the concepts appropriately and are able to do things like uh, teach multiple languages or learn new domains of knowledge and things like that. Uh, so I, I, would, I would slice it at maybe three points along the spectrum there from like NLP experts uh, to linguists to really like user experience designers. Uh, and uh, there's, there's space for all sorts of contributions like that. You know, and maybe some people have, have, have all of those skills rolled into one, but, but on a large team, I mean, we're talking about uh, several individuals with, with kind of different tracks of work, um, uh, trying to have all this come together to make one valuable, useful experience for the user. Yeah, fantastic. So we've, you've mentioned in, in throughout that, in fact, since we started talking, um, conversational AI and machine learning. So... We'll, we'll kind of get into the, the detail of defining what conversational AI is in, in a second, but could you explain to somebody who is completely alien to this what the difference is between conversational AI and machine learning, or even AI and machine learning in general, those two things? Are those two completely different, separated things? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so let's start with AI and machine learning. Um, and so uh, depending on where you look, you're going to find different working definitions. And there's this isn't a topic entirely without controversy. Uh, but the framework that I usually try to use uh, goes something like this. Uh, a, a working definition that most people use in machine learning is that when we say a machine has learned, uh, what we mean is that for some given performance on a task, uh, that with exposure to greater data, the machine is capable of improving its performance on that task. So, so like a simple example would be a spam classifier. Uh, if, if you got three emails and one of them was spam and the spam classifier did not recognize it, then it got a 0% performance. And then we, we fed it in more data, you know, showed it another three emails, and then it was able to get the next uh, spam email correctly classified. Uh, we, have a, we have an objective metric to say it learned um, using our, in, in that classification example. So that's, so machine learning is a suite of techniques that we use uh, to, to achieve that result, right? So it, it is all sorts of different ways of modeling. How can we teach a machine how to improve its performance on a given task uh, with, with the use of data? Um, machine learning can be viewed as a subset of the, of the larger field of artificial intelligence. Um, and so, so machine learning is the learning aspect of AI. Um, but the, the best definitions of AI I've seen usually start with a, a concept of an agent. Um, so, so an agent, like architecturally, to, just, uh, uh, to get a picture of it in your head, is, is something that has sensors, so it can, it can get data from the outside world. It has actuators, that means it can act on the outside world, it can, it can do things to the outside world. And then inside the box uh, is the rest of the AI. And so there's, there's different levels of complexity there, like a minimal level of software agent, you know, like a simple bot would be a reflex agent. So every time uh, it saw, you know, uh, the word chicken, it sends back clock. Um, and so that's, that's a very simple uh, level of agent. Uh, usually what we talk about when we build an artificial intelligence is something that's either an intelligent agent, uh, so that, that means that it has a knowledge base, there is an actual uh, structure of, of, of data that it holds, things it has learned from past exposure, um, uh, but that usually is a learning agent on top of the intelligent agent requirement, which means that that knowledge base is improved by some sort of cycle. Um, and so that's, that's where machine learning comes in. Machine learning is the actual set of techniques by which an artificial intelligence improves its knowledge about how to perform a given task. Uh, but an artificial intelligence itself typically also has the ability to 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 sense and to actuate. So, uh, in uh, in my in my book on reactive machine learning systems, what I describe as a machine learning systems is is typically the scope of what we would call a, a whole artificial intelligence. And so the, the term has become a little bit fuzzy because the um, very rarely do you only want a machine learning component. You, you don't just want to learn over data. You actually want to be able to acquire data from the outside world, and you want to be able to act on it. You want to be able to do some sort of whole task, um, like, like recommend um, you know, movies to a, to a user on a streaming site, or to, or to drive a car, or to schedule a meeting, or, or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. It just depends on the task. Mm -hmm. Okay. So where does conversational AI fit in there, then? What is conversational AI? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So um, AIs can be tasked to do all sorts of things. Um, and so in the case, case of conversational AI, what we're really talking about usually is something that 
uh, takes in language as data and through by its sensors and returns out language. Uh, and so that um, depending on the system we're talking about, that could be textual language as in the case of like a, a chat bot uh, or, that, or that could be uh, voice data, right? So that it could be actually spoken language and so that um, then that needs to be uh, understood then at its textual meaning and then it's independent uh, like, so there's, there's various phases that may need to be decomposed. And so then whether or not we're talking about our sensors being um, things that ingest uh, just simple text or audio um, or our, and, and the same for our actuators, they can, you know, they can again uh, send back text or they can, uh, they can speak. And so, you know, from the perspective of the AI, those sensors and actuators may actually be tied up to another independent system, you know, like that could be, uh, that could go as far as the, you know, the Slack bot itself, for example, as, a, as an interface that would, that would be the uh, the joining up the sensors and the actuators there. So conversationally, it gives us the is the is all of those people who are working uh, with language all those different ways that you could set up a an AI to to handle some form of back and forth over language, uh, typically with another human. Okay, so it's conversational AI and machine learning is is something that I've kind of the more you look the more you notice. And obviously over the last kind of few weeks and months, I see things popping up all over the place about mm -hmm. machine learning, conversational AI and stuff like that. So as let's say, for example, I'm a brand, I'm hearing mm -hmm. all these terms, um, I'm hearing about the developments in technology that enable us to do things like machine learning and natural language processing, which we spoke about and conversational AI. Mm -hmm. I'm a brand, why would conversational AI help my business? Mm -hmm. In what situations? Yeah, uh, so there's a lot of ideas kicking around there um, that people have on how this technology is going to be put to use. Um, and so, if we if we say let's let's talk about voice specifically uh, in the voice applications of conversational AI, um, there are uh, a certain number of hours a day for each individual person. Um, and depending on what, which country you live in, based on the assumptions about how much time people spend in cars, um, where you're inaccessible to a screen. And so that means that um, for people who are interested in what are some of the uh, tasks that a, that a company could take on for a given consumer um, during those times in the day in which uh, they're not looking at a screen, they can't rely upon some app that requires them to hit a button. Uh, and so some interesting, so of course, you know, if you're driving to and from work, it sounds really useful if your, uh, if your car can, can literally tell you things uh, without having uh, you to look down at it and, and allow you to give commands back. Like, yes, I will accept that call or um, start up this podcast. Um, and so, so driving is not the only time in which people don't have access uh, to the ability to like look down at a screen. Um, and so there's, there's other parts of the day in which it's become apparent that um, there's all sorts of niceties to having ambient intelligence. So the, we've gotten used to the idea that, that facts aren't that rare anymore, that we, we have access to you know, the world's knowledge a few clicks away. Uh, but yet there's, there's something that's still quite magical about you know, having your hands uh, tied up with slicing tomatoes and then needing to figure out some fact about the dish you're cooking and just being able to shout that out and get uh, you know an answer within seconds of you know that uh, that is an incredibly high quality one, or to connect you up to something that's actually intelligent and that can work through a workflow, so that 
Um, I don't know if you've tried this before, but you can you can cook with a voice agent. Um, so like a Google Home will will find your recipe and it will walk you through it. Uh, and so these sorts of uh, applications, we're just beginning to see like what what are the ways in which uh, a conversational approach will will win will be so much easier. Um, the sort of uh, especially as you notice, uh, I think one of the the particularly exciting um, observations people have had is. So uh, mobile OS uh, phone installs, so mobile app installs uh, have declined greatly so that people don't generally go out and discover new apps and try out new things and install rates are terrible. And if you want to launch a new solution, uh, people will typically direct you to mobile web. You know, you're trying to solve this problem for your, you know, say your local museum or something. And, you know, how, how could we best help our customers? No one's going to tell you write an iOS app. What they're going to tell you is maybe put something on mobile web. Um, uh, and part of that is this sort of like uh, complexity and bloat and, you know, that there's just all these things to manage. Um, and so the, the web has certain advantages to that. Uh, voice interfaces have a continuing that trend, right, in that um, there's all sorts of advantages to just being able to say, I have this problem. I would like to know, like, what is, you know, uh, you know, uh, what is the, you know, uh, how did the this particular stock do today? You know, like, I want to know, you know, because this is, you know. It's a good way of like checking out my portfolio or something. That there, there are lots of apps that do that, and, and they do it really well, and they have nice uh, graphics, and you know maybe there's a better one this month than the other one. But when you just have a job, it's really nice to just say, I have this problem to a conversational AI that figures out behind the scenes whether or not it has the capability to accomplish that task, or if it can dispatch off to something else, uh, so that you have this sort of like hierarchy of intelligent agents uh, that allows uh, companies who are trying to solve tasks for users, this really very different way of offering up a value proposition. Not like, you know, not you need to install our app with our branding to interface with our store in these ways, but rather when you call, we will be there with your need. You know, if you shout out, please reorder me toilet paper, a Google Home will say, okay, uh, in the United States, uh, I can get you that toilet paper uh, from from Walmart, from Target, from Walgreens, uh, and there, and, and if you have some more complex need, then it may, you know, so if you have an informational need, it may dis out, dispatch out to a particular Google action that has knowledge about, um, you know, the, the, the stock price example, or, you know, so it maybe handles weather itself, but then there's some specific facts about your local area that are better answered by, you know, a metropolitan skill of some kind, you know, a Google action about New York City particular that's, that knows things about museum opening hours or something. Um, this is a different way to getting to users, and it's and it's a way that, uh, has less clutter and cognitive overhead, uh, which represents an opportunity. People are too busy to figure out about your new um, mobile app on, on all the things. It's very hard to cut through the noise. Um, but people are starting to learn to just ask AIs for help on the problems that they have. Uh, and that's a very different sort of value proposition and different positioning um, for, for a brand to take on. It's, it's, it has less shiny visual real estate, um, but it, it may be more effective for your for your consumers, for the for the people you're actually trying to serve. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a few good observations in there actually. I think there's there's always there's always been a stat, isn't there, where people tend to have something like nine apps that they use, and that's kind of pretty much it. Um, whereas obviously with voice, though that 
just expands, doesn't it? You don't need to, to find an app and, and to, to mess around installing it or what have you. Presumably, as, as I know you need to install Alexa skills and stuff like that, but presumably as the ecosystem grows and develops, the intelligence within there will be smarter so that you you ask and you get sort of thing. That would be the ideal sort of situation, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? So, and, and that is the approach that Google uh, Assistant has taken. They they do not use that install based workflow, and that's right. and that's what I think is the more future looking format. I think the idea of skills being installed ad hoc is, uh, um, I think, creates friction. And so I would say that the, the Google Assistant approach is, is is certainly an interesting one to think about, right? So that like you don't want to install like figure out which apps to install on your smart car, like you know if your car can you know like you you just want it to be able to like there's only so many individual computers you want to administer in your life. Uh, usually some of this has to be handled on behalf of users based on inferences about their, uh, their needs and, and, their, uh, um, and, and the best way to fulfill them. We just can't all set up the dozens of computers that we now live with uh, you know, on our wrists and our pockets and in the, corner, in the car. It's just it's too many things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's, um, there's something kind of almost sort of refreshing about just having been able to speak to something rather than you know I've noticed it I think over time over the last few weeks just getting my phone out and texting and then your watch goes and then you know something's on telly and then you're looking at your monitor on the screen and stuff there's something a little bit nice about you almost feel as though you're switched off from everything when you're just talking to something don't you (laughs) Um, yeah, it's strange that like this advanced artificial intelligence based on like fundamental breakthroughs in natural language understanding and microphone technology uh, feels kind of low tech and like <laughs> unplugging. Yeah. Um, but it's it's true, right? It's the it's the it's the first exciting platform that hasn't required you to stare into an into an LED. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So um, does does Amelia have a um, a voice interface as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So we. So we deploy her wherever our customers need her to be deployed. And so, right, so we, we have done deployments that are, uh, um, that are where she, you can actually look at her and talk to her uh, or, or just when you can speak to her in various formats as well. Um, and I've, uh, prior to working on Amelia, I worked on uh, a previous product that was, uh, uh, that was, had a sort of multimodal interface, but then its primary, um, the, the intelligent agent, its primary method of interaction was actually to go out and make phone calls on your behalf, um, which, was, which was another, uh, which was an interesting application of voice only uh, because that product was focused on specifically those things which put you as a human uh, in a real-time workflow uh, that uh, that took your time, right? Like that you, you had to look up a phone number, you had to call people, you had to get pieces of information, you had to get tasks accomplished. Um, that was a, a sort of uh, different approach to using voice. Um, and so I, um, I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities out there for uh, where we stick intelligent agents into, uh, into which interfaces. But I think uh, one of the things I think is, is most exciting is that um, the sort of inherent uh, equality of, of operating through voice, right? That, um, that there's a... Um, when you're able to use uh, like voice and text in particular, that, that language is this very sort of equal format. We all have our own voices. We all have our own ability to, um, to address each other. And so that uh, there's this open door for, for new products and, and new functionality uh, that has this sort of uh, very equal interface that it, it is willing to listen to you or talk to you. Uh, and 
I think that's that's some of the most exciting stuff going on right now is the people discovering that uh, this the the world of the world of voice and conversational AI opens up doors that are that are less about you know uh, the world of like say uh, video games and arms races around you know like graphics qualities or something like that where you have these huge teams producing these massive or the way that movies and, and TVs similarly work where uh, uh, there's actually amazing things you can do with particularly uh, uh, intelligent application of small teams towards using some of this really amazing technology uh, to build voice products that, that seem like something that how could a handful of people have created? That? Um, you know, how is it uh, when it? Uh, but that's just where we are technologically. There's uh, this, this technology is, is becoming uh, so magically mature that um, all of this is really productizable. We are we are now at the point where uh, people can actually build conversational AI products with a with uh, uh, in the same in the, with the same sort of like completely unobstructed access as, as the early days of mobile. Yeah, and uh, I think I think it's probably easier sometimes to build something with uh, with fewer people. Certainly from a de design perspective, because you you can focus on the vision as opposed to opening it out to a huge load of people who and everyone has an opinion. And before you know where you are, it's you know it's it's hard to keep on top of, isn't it? Um, yeah. Um, what was I going to do there? I was going to, oh yeah, so um, you were mentioning about the um, building a conversational AI, and earlier on you were talking about the AI being able to understand what comes through and then give a response. So when it comes to building a conversational AI, and this is something that perhaps the more technical people who are listening to will either be familiar with or would want to know a little bit more about, do you need to define the, the input and the output so do you need to define all of the types of phrases and conversations that need to be fed in and then also predetermine what the responses will be for that? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So like how do we, yeah. So for example, let's say in Amelia's case, let's say Amelia is being used as a, um, I don't know, let's say that it's a voice assistant that will be able to troubleshoot uh, a problem. I know this might not happen um, in, in Amelia's case, but there may be a voice assistant somewhere, for example, that has a conversational AI whereby I could ask it, um, you know, I'm setting up this iMac, I've got a problem with this, you know, can you fix this situation? So, and even even chatbots, I suppose, are a little bit like that, whereby you will you'll put something in, you'll get something in return. So what you put in, in terms of the questions that you ask, the way that you phrase things, do you need to, when you're building and constructing this uh, this thing, do you need to define all of those phrases that it needs to be able to respond to, as well as all of the answers that you'll get in return? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think I understand your question, right? So there's like a there's maybe a, a naive, simplistic approach you could do, use to create a uh, a sort of like very crude, basic chatbot, right? That that did something like um, like that knew only specific. Uh, specific phrases in response to specific questions, right? Uh, and and that doesn't sound very useful, right? Like if you have to get it precisely right down to the question mark or something, you know, the exact uh, verb tense, uh, you, there's just not enough time uh, in any organization in the world to write all those possible sentences you could ever have and to to imagine all the possible conversations you could ever have. It's there's I, I know no product that has that shape, right? So you um, so we have to do something better. Uh, so what we instead do is uh, we decompose the task of understanding natural language uh, 
into many phases, right? So we're, uh, and, and this is just generally within the field of, of natural language processing, um, that, that we, we break it apart and so that uh, we understand, you know, is this a question? And then like, we understand, um, we try to map out, you know, is this, is this a, uh, so for example, um, it really depends on, on what the, the problem being solved, how you model the domain of, of certain things, but like, uh, there's all sorts of sub problems with very well established uh, um, with very well established techniques. So, for example, like uh, people will talk about co-referencing uh, at times, and so co-referencing occurs when you say that um, uh, my brother installed this computer. Um, uh, oh, sorry, my brother installed this program on the computer in your in your, in your help desk example there, right? Uh, and then and then later you say, uh, let me ask him what he did. And so him and that follow on uh, needs to be understood, right? So that we need to we need to have a model which is specifically uh, can understand uh, pronouns uh, and and the nouns that they refer back to, right? So they brother in that case. Um, so that we we have a whole bunch of those sub problems, and that's how we break it down and to, uh, to get to the point of understanding things. And a common structure that people will try to get to is an understanding of the intents and the entities. Um, and so the intents are, um, could be something like, um, so let me actually switch context to a different conversational AI. Um, so uh, at x.ai, built here in New York, uh, we built a, a uh, conversational AI over email that scheduled uh, meetings. You know, so uh, a meeting set up for me and John next week at 3 p.m. or something like that. Or she would look at your calendar and negotiate with the, uh, the, uh, the, the person you're meeting with and do all that with the natural language. Um, so, so, so if we talk about a conversation like that, it could be an intent that's like, uh, requesting a new meeting. So that, that is an intent. So, you know, set up a, set up a meeting with me and John. So we're, uh, after we've gone through those various phases of different models, understanding things, we should know, uh, what that intent is. We should also know the entities, uh, me, which is perhaps implicit, uh, or maybe I said it in the sentence, you know, so in that case, uh, and then John, the person I'm meeting with who, who now has an, uh, I, uh, an, uh, that we have some concept of what that entity is, that we can identify it, and then we can we can then make decisions about what to do next. And so those decisions about what to do next are uh, can work very differently than things that we say back than our ways of understanding natural language. So we we can have all these intents and entities, but then um, uh, we have a very arbitrary level of choice in terms of how we respond back. Um, so uh, this is something I talked about at a recent talk, uh, maybe Google Developers Group. So it may not be obvious, but uh, within a within an AI, um, your outputs can only uh, the the number of output actions uh, is uh, is bounded by the number of uh, by the amount of input you can take in. That is, if 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 your sensors can sense, you know, say four states, the most uh, you can ever possibly respond is four states, right? You can only ever take four actions. If you take a fifth action, what that implies is that fifth action is randomly generated, right? It's not based on the data. Um, and so, um, right, so so we get to those intents and entities, and then we, we have these choices to make about what level of response we're going to do. Uh, and so uh, are we going to um, send a notification? Uh, are we going to then, or, you know, like so that, for example, uh, some of the conversational interactions uh, within the smart speakers, the response to a user input may be to play a video or a song or something like that, or to uh, 
to purchase an item, it may not be to, to return a sentence. Uh, those sentences that when, so when sentences are returned usually, uh, there's a range of different techniques from full on um, scripting, so that, you know, that we're, we're just writing it out as predefined dialogue. And so uh, a lot of like the humor and uh, social talk, chit chatty sorts of functionality, like if you, uh, it, it works that way. And so like, you know, uh, Alexa or Google Home just has a database of jokes. So you ask another joke, and you could ask, tell me a joke in 20 different ways. And the natural language understanding will need to understand the complexity. But the, then the state space of the response is, is much smaller, right? It's, it's just, yes, send one joke from the script of jokes. Um, uh, but some, some responses to users are, are engineered in different ways. Uh, in particular, uh, there's a lot of conversational workflows in which we need to know the current state of the discussion. We maybe need to know people's names and their preferences. So like in, a, in, a, in the meeting negotiation email example I talked about before, uh, we need to be able to, um, to know that the, currently the meeting is scheduled for Thursday at 3 p.m. And that is the proposal we're trying to get you to confirm and that you are meeting with Alex and, and, and we need to make sure that his name is included and that you are meeting at the Blue Stone Lane coffee shop, that all those things are very specific. So we need to do some level of natural language generation to assemble up the data that we know about the world uh, and that's where you start to see slightly more sophisticated implementations of how to form uh, language-based responses to users within conversational AI. Uh, so that can be from the level of um, uh, purely scripted, some amount of templating to fairly uh, sophisticated, procedurally generated out uh, implementations of, of, of being able to form novel sentences based on the data that is actually uh, there at runtime within mm -hmm. a given conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so some of the things that I've had kind of along the lines of, of the conversation. So when a human has a conversation with a human, so I'm, we're having this conversation now, I know what you said previously, which then will prompt my next kind of question or the next kind of analogy or whatever, and then you'll respond to that. And then based on something you said earlier on, that might rejog my memory and I might then bring back something you said earlier on. And mm -hmm. yep. I don't know the complexities of this, and you'll obviously know far more than me. One of the things that I've been uh, reading recently is some of the smart speakers, and I don't know if this is a problem confined to smart speakers or whether or not this is a broader uh, challenge within conversational AI, but some of the things that I've come, come across has been whereby you mentioned that you can ask a broad range of questions and then you can predefine some of those responses. So then what happens further down the line when a response further down the line is dependent on something that happened earlier on in the conversation? So the context previously, is that something that is possible in conversational AI or is that something that is, um, is that one of the challenges or is that just confined to the smart speakers at, at the minute? Oh, I think that's a, it's a very general problem. Um, so you, you, I think you call the context there, which is a common name um, for it. Uh, depending on the context, we might also refer to that as like dialogue state. Uh, but yeah, so the problem of context or dialogue state uh, is something that, uh, depending on the product you're building, you may or may not have to address. Uh, and so we, we usually draw this divide as uh, what we would call like uh, question answering versus multi-turn dialogues. So question answering is, uh, is, is closer to the older field of information retrieval, which really gave us things like search engines. And so you just want to like find out uh, who is the senator of the 12th district? And so it is a single question. It has a single answer. Whether or not the system fulfills that, 
um, there's not 20 steps. Uh, most of what you're talking about within conversational AI, those are multi-turn dialogues. And so that presumes that there's some level of dialogue state that's persisted. Um, and so systems have varying levels of complexity in terms of how well they support that. Uh, I would say that most of the interactions I've seen on the smart speakers are at least uh, within the first party features are not focused on multi-turn dialogue. Uh, that you, they, you know, they don't expect you to follow up. There's a single back and forth. Uh, and that, uh, that greatly reduces the technical complexity you need to take on within your system. Um, uh, Amelia doesn't work that way. Um, and and most, like, uh, most AIs that accomplish real work on behalf of humans, uh, which is a small subset, but an important subset, uh, have to be in that, that case. Uh, they have to have some concept of, of, uh, of a true dialogue state. So uh, when I worked at x.ai on, on uh, Amy and Andrew, so they schedule meetings over email, that's a negotiation. The whole point of the thing is to accumulate up a sufficient dialogue state so that we know who are the attendees of a meeting with a location and a time uh, and that, that everyone is agreed upon. And so that, that's the whole purpose of the product is to accumulate out that knowledge and to reference the current state and to, and to work uh, on that task and negotiating it with users. And that's very common uh, is that, uh, that I think most of the actually useful applications of conversational AI need to have that. Um, I have some friends at a, a Hugging Face. Uh, Hugging Face creates a sort of um, uh, messaging-based AI friend uh, for teenagers. And so it's, it's all chit-chats, emojis, selfies, um, uh, very fun stuff. Um, but the point is it's your friend. It knows things about you. You can refer back to it. You can tell it, you know, like my dog's name is Fluffy. You know, my boyfriend's name is Charles. Uh, you, uh, and it needs to remember that because it's your friend. Uh, and that's the entire purpose of the product. And so you, you build very different systems uh, to deal with that uh, versus things that are simply trying to deal with a, a more basic question answering workflow that looks more like uh, traditional information retrieval or search. Mm. It was a really interesting thing I, I've listened to on um, on another podcast. I think it was the Alexa Devs podcast. I'm not sure if you've come across it, but there's a guy called Brian. I think his second name is Romerly. I never know how to pronounce people's second names when they spell it a bit weird, but Brian, Brian Romerly. Anyway, he works within the kind of voice basis. Of, one of the things that he was talking about was around exactly what you just mentioned there around remembering things and, and these things remembering you know who you are your preferences and stuff and he was mentioning something around whereby the way that the ai is kind of heading is that you might have one ai agent for example maybe it'll be in your car or something like that um so you might have one in your car i might have one in my car it could be the same agent but it would treat us both differently depending on our personality types and depending on our preferences so if, if if i'm the kind of person who wants to know the real detail of everything then it will tell me when i get in the car on my way to work that actually there's a traffic jam further up and it started at 9 30 and it's not going to clear till 10 and etc 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 it was caused by a lorry that jackknifed whereas if you're the kind of person who just wants direct information they don't care about the detail it'll just tell you there's a traffic jam you need to go a different way so it's it's really interesting sort of observation that in terms of the way that one ai might be able to treat people differently based on their either personality or, or preferences. Mm -hmm. I think that's very true. Uh, I think a, a very present current day example is, uh, is the use of, uh, of sentiment detection. And, and uh, so for example, Amelia has a subsystem that we call EQ, um, which is the, her ability to sense your emotional state and to respond empathetically. Uh, and this, this is actually a surprisingly um, um, 
valuable and like early feature to implement in, in various sorts of conversational products. Uh, XI had a form of this as well when, you know, for whatever reason we believed that the, uh, um, the agent was in a current state where, you know, there was something difficult about getting the meeting scheduled or something. And so needed to respond to a customer's likely frustration with, oh no, there's, you know, we're, we're still, we still don't have this scheduled somehow. Um, that empathy, I think, is, is actually an underutilized uh, opportunity uh, for uh, for building uh, more sophisticated AIs. Uh, I think this is something that people don't necessarily start with, um, but many real-world products end up having to have it. And I, uh, I, I think as I, I proposed in a couple of places before, I think that um, this could be very valuable within the, the space of voice specifically, and the greater dynamism within the machine learning systems we use to back this technology. Uh, will give us a greater ability to respond empathetically. So to not be, you as a human are just so, such a tremendously dynamic system. Um, you, you are constantly assessing my emotional state and you can respond in this range of, of different ways based on what you believe my emotional state to be. Um, so, and, that, and that's everything from your, your tone of voice, the, um, how quickly you speak, the volume, your diction, um, the pauses you allow between conversation, all of those things, uh, if we make those dynamic uh, within the actuation level, we can take advantage of, of, uh, of knowledge that we already have the machine learning techniques to be able to sense about humans, things yeah. around seven. Wow. That's, that's mind-blowing, that, isn't it? <laughs> but it is for me, anyway. So it doesn't sort of work in this field. It's just unbelievable because that's like... You know, you speak about natural language processing and stuff like that. that. That's very much, these are the words that we speak and this is how we understand it. But what you're saying there is that it's picking, I mean, you didn't even mention language and words there. You're talking about kind of tone, volume, speed. It's all the other variables which you kind of, I don't know, could quite easily overlook when it comes to creating a voice sort of experience. Right. And I, and I don't think it's the norm right now. So what I'm talking about is something I believe to be a sort of, um, obviously open opportunity in terms of, of how we think about uh, user experience. Um, I know some folks at a company called Neuralex, and uh, they're actually trying to do voice-based diagnosis of diseases like Alzheimer's, depression, Parkinson's. Um, and again, and, um, the sorts of rich detail that, uh, that comes out of a, of a voice-based interaction um, gives us this opportunity to exploit uh, some of these very powerful techniques and then and really respond so that if, if that was just an embedded capability of the technologies you interacted with every day, uh, if your Alexa just said, ah, you know, I think you should really go make a doctor's appointment or, you know, I've already made you a doctor's appointment because I'm concerned that you may have early onset Alzheimer's um, uh, based on what you, we've been talking about today. Um, uh, I mean, that's a, that's... It's a very exciting capability, and I think it's one that um, is very uh, user uh, aligned with user interest, right? It's very user positive, right? That um, uh, we want, we build these technologies to support human beings. You know, we we talk about conversational AIs taking on work for users. There, there, this is there are tools. They they exist to serve us, and and they should be making our lives better. And so I think thinking about how things like empathy and um, and just a um, taking advantage of the richness of what a human being is and, and trying to do everything you can to to model that and be as dynamic as that uh, uh, as the uh, motivating example of an actual human being is 
uh, leads you to a very different place uh, than thinking in terms of uh, deterministic, uh, uh, simplistic, like pure software techniques. Uh, learning has the ability to deal with some of the fuzziness of what it means to be a human being and try to infer what did someone really mean when they use that tone and that sentence. Um, and, and now we get to take advantage of that. And I, I think it's, it's really up to us to have the ambition in, in how we build products and technologies. Uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons, I suppose, why you mentioned that at the very, very start in terms of having a multidisciplinary team. It'd be fantastic if Amazon and, and Google did build those kind of capabilities into into those things, and the Cortana and Bixby and all of the other kind of consumer-facing, mm-hmm. big-scale brands who are who are kind of launching in that that kind of space and who have launched in that sort of space. Um, yeah, that would be, be unreal if Alexa could tell you that it's booked your doctor's appointment based on your voice. That's absolutely staggering, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> so that that's a nice um, a nice kind of you know nice view for the future in terms of if mm-hmm. if, if that would if that was to kind of transpire. You the article you wrote, which was the article that led me to to try and approach you to see if we could have this conversation, was all about future opportunities within voice. Um, so. In order to get to that kind of future, and there's many other things in there that you've mentioned that would be really, really good, um, it would be interesting if we could cover uh, some of the points in that article in terms of some of the challenges within conversational AI at the moment. Um, I mean, you, there's a few things in here we can cover a couple. I mean, you might talk about pre-built agents, advanced analytics, self-optimizing dialogues, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so... Can we kind of get into that? I'm conscious of time. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but we can we can kind of pick out a few of these. Um, so, the advanced analytics thing was 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 quite interesting. So, um, one of the challenges you were, you were talking about is in terms of the analytics that we currently get from these voice sort of um, platforms being fairly, um, I suppose, fairly basic in terms of number of uh, apps skill downloads for example or number of uh, invocations or something like that and you were, you were talking about that you would like to see more advanced analytics can we can you speak to to that a little bit and, and, and give some examples of the kind of analytics that you that you think that would be more useful yeah so i mean i think where we're at right now is um that sort of analytics telemetry around um uh voice uh, particularly like you know voice skills deployed to consumer platforms um is pretty similar to the stuff that you would expect around uh, website analytics um, from uh, like a sort of digital marketing or, uh, you know, so just trying to, so there's a, it's kind of a crude view of the world in comparison to what we're often trying to achieve in a conversation. Uh, And so uh, inside a company where uh, there's a lot of investment on building out a conversational AI, the sorts of questions we want to ask ourselves are quite fine grained. I mean, we're trying to understand what it is about particular conversations uh, that is making them successful or unsuccessful in some fairly domain-specific uh, uh, formulation of what success or failure means, right? So, you know, like uh, uh, one company, so X.AI schedules meetings, and so its definition of success is that the meeting got scheduled. And then, so then there's also uh, all sorts of ways that you would slice that down so that for anything like that where there's a task, uh, there's usually an implicit assumption that people want to have less back and forth, less conversational steps before they, they get to a successful outcome. And so that, uh, and, and the ways of visualizing and analyzing this data are, are kind of hairy. Um, there's, a, there's this thing called a Sankey plot, um, which, which gives you an idea of um, like uh, 
the amount of, of, of a given, say, uh, conversations routing through a particular dialogue tree or something like that. So like a particular, uh, if the conversation takes a particular direction and then it wraps up pretty shortly, um, you know, that lots of people that works for, that, that indicates some part of uh, our conversational AI that's working really well. Um, if by example, uh, the alternative is, is some like, looks like a snaky spaghetti line that goes out very far to the right which means that a small number of people were in this weird conversational path that kept going back and forth between the user and the AI. And that, that can be inferred to mean you know, some form of difficulty or unhappiness. Right? And so, and then, and then once you identify any of those things, then my next question is, okay, now why? Why did that occur? You know, like what, what was, what's successful about this successful one? What, it, what is unsuccessful about the other one? Uh, and you end up having to read a lot of language. And for many of these things we're talking, if you're successful, you're talking about reading data at scale. Uh, so uh, this really is something that should ultimately fall within the functionality of the software systems we use to manage uh, the technology that actually implements a conversational intelligence. I wanna know what my AI is talking about and succeeding at accomplishing for the user and why, and, and ideally have as many of those decisions made uh, internal to the system in real time, like self-optimizing the same way we would do for, um, uh, I built machine learning systems for ad tech. And so, you know, advertisements are shown to you because they were successful with other users based on real time data. You know, so, you know, if you see the blue ad versus the yellow ad, uh, you know, if people clicked on the yellow ad more, uh, then, then that one automatically wins. And at this point in time, humans don't make those decisions. We don't need to figure out how to build software that can, uh, that can be used to encode our human intuition and do this in real time and at rapid scale. Uh, and, uh, there's, and, and that's ultimately where we need to get to through understanding uh, dialogue in real time. Mm -hmm. that is, that's really interesting. That. The, the other thing um, you were talking about was security. And there's a there's a wicked there's a wicked clip in that article um, which yeah. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna play it right but okay. I want to know I don't know if it's gonna come through for you or not it'll definitely play and it'll definitely record but I don't know if okay. it's gonna come through for Let's you it. but it's it's the, I'll try it it's the Donald Trump thing yeah so I'll sure. play this and then you can speak a little bit about your kind of concerns and the challenges with security in in, in voice stuff all right so let's give this a go. The United States is considering, in addition to other options, stopping all trade with any country doing business with North Korea. Okay, that was Donald Trump. Well, it wasn't Donald Trump, it was Liabird who have created a representation of Donald Trump. Did that work over your end or not? I, I didn't hear it, but... Um... Okay, okay. I hope you heard it on the uh, on the recording. Yes, it will be on the recording, definitely. But you know what okay. it is anyway, because you found mm -hmm. it and you put it in your article. Yeah. <laughs> so that is is a synthetic or a, a um, generated voice of Donald Trump, which sounds mm -hmm. freakishly like the real Donald Trump. And mm -hmm. presumably that something like that would be good enough to fill for maybe a banking uh, phone-based authentication voice-based authentication or something like that. Um, and I think that's one of the things you were talking about in the article in terms of security um, limitations or challenges. Do you want to speak a little bit about those security concerns? Right. So there, so all that wonderful stuff about how we'd like to just, you know, talk to machines and not have to, uh, to touch them and to scroll through these things. And um, it comes with a cost, right? Is that um, the more functionality we embed within a voice interface, um, the more reliant we are upon 
the presumption that just being able to speak to it is a safe interaction, right? And so um, if, for example, you wanted to be able to do things like purchase uh, items uh, via your voice, that implies that you ultimately have access to money with just your voice. And so um, I'm, I'm not sure if this feature is supported on Alexa yet, but uh, within the Google Home platforms, it recognizes multiple voices. And so it has a model for each speaker uh, who has an account. And so I can ask, what's my schedule look like today? And my wife can ask what her schedule looks like today. And it distinguishes between them. Um, and so uh, if we use voice as an authentication mechanism, um, uh, we have, we're kind of at an unfortunate point in technology uh, because uh, it's, it's now a very real world to, claim, to clone human voices at a level that's nearly indistinguishable and will rapidly be uh, truly indistinguishable. You know, the, especially, so if we were having this, this phone call, uh, sorry, if we were having this conversation over like a traditional uh, telephone line, which has a, a lower rate of audio than, than most VOIP or video streaming solutions, uh, basically we're already at the point where a synthetic voice and a human voice uh, aren't distinguishable, like at a slightly lower quality. And so that and this is rapidly advancing. This is, this is such a, um, uh, this is such a productive area of research. And so if we have business processes, if we have governmental processes, if we have things that are today being accomplished by two people just talking about it, uh, maybe just by voice, uh, we're, now already, we're now already in an age where uh, you can't distinguish. Um, and, and so voice as a security mechanism is a pretty poor one. Um, uh, and then the same is, and there's also, there's other uh, weird and uh, kind of scary uh, attack vectors uh, that come out of using uh, voice assistance. And so there was a really interesting paper that came out, I want to say this week, uh, maybe last week, about the ability to uh, silently inject uh, voice commands into a stream of audio. And so this is, uh, you could uh, be talking to a smart speaker without a human being able to hear you. Mm. High so, frequencies, sort of like... Uh, I, don't, I don't even know that it's actually using the frequency so much. It's, it's actually an artifact of, of reverse engineering how automated speech recognizers, the component of, uh, of the stack that takes uh, uh, sound data and turns it into text. Uh, it's, it's actually through a, a pretty sophisticated re-engineering of that. It's, it's not merely like outside of the human range of hearing. Um, and so um, these sorts of attack vectors exist anytime we rely upon uh, machine learning models uh, to uh, to make decisions, right? And so, so if we say that uh, we, if we build a lot of powerful technology that is controlled by human voices, uh, the, then we need to be prepared for a world in which uh, human voices can be injected into places, the same as uh, other forms of attack vectors, right? So that like uh, there's also a a field of this where uh, within the space of computer vision, right, where people are uh, demonstrating how trivial it is to uh, to disrupt image recognition things, so that uh, whether it's you know, to use a, a picture of your face to unlock your phone, uh, which was true for, you know, the, uh, the early versions of Google's and Samsung's facial recognition technology. Um, but then also, um, this affects what the world's going to be like when all of the cars on the street are being driven by uh, machine learning algorithms and not by human beings. Whether they recognize things uh, based on um, the fact that they can be disrupted by really small um, variations within the images that they've uh, they've been trained to recognize, and so people will do things like small black and white stickers uh, can completely fool a machine learning algorithm to say that a watermelon is a gorilla or something like that. Um, it's a uh, 
this this is a all of the exciting possibilities of the technology we're developing right now they, they come with, with with risks and and costs and and uh and these are these are some of the challenges we're going to be undertaking if if we really want to embrace this this new method of interacting with machines we have to come up with solutions uh, for problems that look quite a bit different uh, than the than the way this, that we've interacted with technology before. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Although there is, um, I mean, I wouldn't particularly enjoy it if someone cloned my voice and managed to hack into my bank over the phone. But uh, you had mentioned that you did work on um, an, an automated AI which makes outbound calls, which that would actually mm -hmm. come in handy if you could replicate your voice to then make your own phone calls with your own voice. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. And so there's definitely a, 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 a very benign usage of some, of some of these things. And so there are people who are pursuing building uh, artificial intelligence that are meant to really represent their users as a sort of representation of you in other contexts. The, the first application of this, I think, is, um, uh, is really like celebrity um, sort of thing, so that uh, a celebrity is a way of like producing a product to sell to its fans. Uh, will have these sort of uh, 3D avatars with their voice in them. Um, but if you want to have a sort of infinite, unbounded conversation with, a, uh, with, a, with an AI representation of some famous person, uh, you don't want to act, you can't actually have all of their speech pre-recorded. In fact, what you need is a learning model of, the, of their speech. And so, um, and that can create, uh, I think, fun experiences. You know, that's certainly going to create like, uh, neat toys and things like that, and, and video game experiences. Um, you know, if the um, you know you're playing some historical time travel adventure, and then John F. Kennedy is the character, and he sounds precisely like John F. Kennedy because he's a machine model produced to be exactly equivalent, and so that you have this, you know, you can have these sorts of experiences that are um, that weren't possible before and are, and are interesting. You know, uh, uh, we get to make these choices as as the humans in charge of. Uh, of what technology we're going to use and to build. Um, and we get to choose whether to deploy it for creative and, and, and fun and, um, and worthwhile goals uh, versus, you know, sort of nefarious uh, <laughs> techniques like stealing your bank account. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Um, finally then, lastly, and then I'll, I'll let you go. You've obviously got um, far more important things, I imagine, to work on. <laughs> um, the how how would could, you mentioned a few tools in a few of your talks? One uh, was Spark, and the other one was um, where has it gone? Scala. Um, if someone is so, there may be people listening to this who are on the design side, who are more focused on how they can create a voice experience using conversational AI. There may be people also who are quite on the technical side who maybe aren't involved in machine learning and uh, the development side of AI at the moment. So for those kind of people, how, what would you recommend for getting started in machine learning or AI? Um, sure. I, I mean, I think there's, there's probably a couple of different options. Um, the, the dominant stack, I would say, within like machine learning and AI right now uh, usually involves programming in Python uh, and then using uh, libraries like Scikit-Learn to, to implement uh, traditional machine learning algorithms, um, things like pandas and um, uh, NumPy and SciPy to work with, with data at a lower level. Uh, and then TensorFlow from Google is another uh, library that's uh, very powerful for building uh, deep learning uh, neural network sorts of techniques uh, for modeling. And so that's, uh, that's sophisticated stuff that's become very accessible. Uh, and the documentation and they support is really good. 
um, some of my past work on uh, Scala, which is a functional programming language, and Spark, which is a data processing framework that also contains a machine learning library, is really about uh, doing all this work at enormous scale uh, in, in very real-world production scenarios. And so it's not necessarily where I would recommend someone start um, merely for educational purposes, but it can often be a good basis to uh, if you're if you're part of an organization that already has large scale that has you know a, a large customer base uh, and you're trying to do this um, in a in an environment that it's just going to touch a lot of people from day one that's going to have a lot of data flowing through it uh, then yeah tools like uh, like uh, programming languages like Scala and uh, and uh, uh, frameworks like Spark really allow you to to reach that scale out on day one with with confidence that this is battle tested and deployed. Uh, throughout all sorts of uh, applications within and uh, outside of uh, AI machine learning contexts. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, so where could people, what I'll do is I'll, I'll get the link to your book for those people who are probably a bit more technically uh, advanced than, than the beginners. I'll put, I'll put all the links to your, your article and uh, things like that uh, in the show notes. But where could people contact you and find out more about you um, um, sure. Uh, you can find me at reactivemachinelearning.com. That brings together a lot of the resources we've uh, discussed on this call. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Jeff K. Smith Jr. Um, and I'm always happy to, to help people uh, with topics like how, how do I get started in machine learning, where to, where to start. And uh, I try to have good answers to those sorts of things and, and point people to good resources. Um, I, uh, uh, talking with a, a, a wide and vibrant community is definitely uh, a big part of the reward of working within uh, this sector specifically. Just tons of smart people, and it's great to talk to people. Fantastic. Wicked. Well, thank you for joining us, Jeff. That is probably <laughs> the most interesting conversation I've probably ever had. I've learned so much in, in that. Well, I don't even know how long we've been talking, to be honest. The time has just kind of got away with me. But that is from beforehand, uh, and there'll be many other people listening to this who, who've are complete novices when it comes to things like conversational AI and machine learning. And just to get to the opportunity to speak to someone with your kind of experience and skill set to, to speak a little bit about it and define some of these terms and to give us some real life examples and context and, you know, the tools and everything has just been absolutely fantastic. So thank you very, very much for, for setting the time aside uh, oh, to speak to us. Thank you very much for having me. I, uh, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's been an interesting talk and I, I hope some of this is interesting to your listeners. Cool. Thank you very much. Mind blown. That was an immense conversation. Thank you so much for Jeff for joining us, to Jeff for joining us. That was unreal. Considering I had no prior knowledge beforehand, there'll be people listening to this with no prior knowledge beforehand of conversational AI or machine learning. That was super, super interesting. Uh, be sure to check out the article I was talking about, about the opportunities um, of invoice. I'll link it below. I'll link to all Jeff's stuff. If you're a technical kind of person and you're already familiar with machine learning, etc., you can pick up his book. I'll link to his book. Um, and yeah, thank you, Jeff. Uh, and thank you all for listening as well. So until next time, see you later.